Welcome, and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Kelly is the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency in Phoenix, Arizona, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and the You Before Me campaign. She has a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. She was adopted when she was three days old. She was born to a teen birth mother raised in a closed adoption and reunited with her birth mother in 2007. Our goal with the Birth Mother Matters and Adoption podcast is to spread awareness and education about the beautiful choice that is adoption. Well, Kelly, it has been a while, but we are back and we're going to try and get back on a regular schedule again. It's just been a busy time for both of us and things are up in the air. So we're just trying to get back on our feet and get this ball rolling down the adoption podcast uh, train here. You know, I think that's a really good way to phrase it. I was never uh, somebody that learned how to juggle. I always wanted to. And mm-hmm. so metaphorically speaking, um, yeah, this wasn't something that I, I was able to juggle. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we're back and we're better than ever. And we are going to give our listeners uh, so much information. They're going to feel like there was never a lapse. We're going to cram so much into this podcast that they'll forget that we've had a few weeks off. Right. That's right. Absolutely. So okay. uh, welcome back. You know, the kids are back in school. Um, we're rocking and rolling. So let's do this. So today I thought we would go over what's been happening in the adoption world. And that extends into uh, everything from, you know, what's going on in the abortion world to what's going on in uh, the world of babies being abandoned and what's happening with that to, you know, what we're seeing in terms of adoptive families and birth families as well. So we're going to kind of try to touch on as many adoption topics that we can today. So uh, jumping right in, since the Supreme Court made a ruling on Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, Mm -hmm. states have constructed a a spider web, I guess, is kind of how it is, in terms of their work regarding abortion law and regulating and limiting whether or not and under what circumstances a person may obtain an abortion. So the reason that this is so interesting, and I know we've talked about this in the past, is a big misconception regarding that the government, uh, the Supreme Court has outlawed abortions. And that's not the case. What they have done is the Supreme Court gave the power back to the states to make the determination for their state what the abortion laws would be. And I think that with almost any policy, I think it's better handled on a local level anyway. So I think this just falls in line with that, in my personal opinion. Right. I I agree with you. And I think that when we see the news and we see the protesters who are fighting for their, their abortion rights, I think that we need to remember and understand that that's it. Again, it's a, it's on the local level. It's not on the, um, the federal level. Right. So because it is has been handed back to the states that that is determined, you know, each state will determine what's going to happen. And I wonder if people will start moving states. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder how far this will go. Right now, 32 states require an abortion to be performed by a licensed physician. 19 states require an abortion to be performed at a hospital after a specific point in the pregnancy. 
and 17 states require the involvement of a second physician after a specified period. So again, with gestational limits, 43 states are prohibiting abortions after a specified point in pregnancy. And of course, there are some exceptions. Mm -hmm. Uh, 21 states have laws in effect that prohibit partial birth abortion. Three of these laws apply only to post-viability abortions. So people are becoming, or states are becoming specific as to what is allowed and what is not allowed. So how is viability defined? Is it, does it vary from state to state or is there a line that they consider quote unquote viable? That's such a broad question. I think if we break it down, um, again, I'm not a doctor or physician. And so just gathering research, I think viability wouldn't um, change from state to state because it's determining if you're going to use a term, you know, if a baby is viable or not, Mm -hmm. Uh, that has gone down a little bit because when we say viable, it does mean with medical intervention. And so a baby that was born at 20 weeks would not be able to survive outside the womb without medical intervention. But with medical intervention, they used to say it was 24 weeks was the cutoff. I've seen some research that they say is 20 weeks. Mm -hmm. It would be up to the state to determine Mm -hmm. whether or not that would be part of their adopted state program. And in other words, you know, is viability going to um, influence or be a factor in whether or not abortions are legal in our state? You know, that being said, I think that, we need to recognize that states do have different opinions, but there are factors and things that cannot be changed, like the, like whether or not a, a baby is viable or not. I still hate using the word fetus. I think that it is um, really toning down and distancing us from what we're really talking about. We're talking about babies. It makes it feel more clinical and, and yeah, not personal anymore. Right. Right. They're not personal. You know, if you, when you go into an office uh, that is an OBGYN, they often don't put their hand on your stomach or ask how your fetus is doing. They will ask, you know, how, how is the baby? Is the baby right. kicking? Is the baby moving? They don't, they don't say, oh, did the fetus kick? Are you doing, mm-hmm. you know, fetus kick counts? And so it's, um, I think that when we are talking about babies, I think one thing that we can do to support those that are not born yet is definitely to use the term baby to bring um, emotion to what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So going forward, one thing that I found interesting um, that was reported by uh, Guttmacher Institute was that as of July 24th, 2022, 30 days after the Roe v. Wade uh, decision was handed down by the Supreme court, 11 States all in the South and Midwest had either banned abortion completely or they had increased the the laws regarding abortion. 11 of these states had a total of 71 clinics that provided abortion care. As of July 24th, there were only 28 clinics still offering abortions, all located in the four states that had six-week bans. That's significant. Across these 11 states, the number of clinics offering abortions has dropped by 43% in just one month. Uh, Seven states that have imposed total abortion bans since June 24th, containing only very limited or no exceptions, no longer had a single clinic providing abortion care as as of July 24th, 2022. And these states include Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, Missouri, Oklahoma, South Dakota, and Texas. 
Now, when this all came about, there I looked into some of Arizona's laws at the time and what they were going to do, and there was a choice whether they would go back to a law that they had made, I believe, just prior to Roe v. Wade, or if they would actually go back to the territorial days of Arizona, a law that was in place then. Do you know how that turned out? Yeah. So right now, yeah. Right now we have the 15-week abortion ban. So in the state of Arizona, you are able to uh, have an abortion up until 15 weeks of pregnancy. Okay. The reason I think that this is so interesting is one of the biggest questions that I have been asked as an adoption agency director is, oh, well, you know, are you having more birth moms come in? Are you seeing more new clients? Are you, you know, what's happening? How is this, you know, trickling down? And I would say that was there an uptick in in birth mothers coming in after this went into effect? Not really. Um, you know, long-term projection, possibly. But again, it's not, um, it's going to take time for everything to settle. I mean, the dust doesn't just go away immediately. And right. so- Right now, I think that we are definitely going to see more women parenting that weren't planning on parenting. Uh, We may see an increase in adoptions, and I don't know yet what that's really going to look like. COVID did not have an entirely positive effect on adoptions. That being said, I think once, you know, we get further away from uh, COVID and Everything that came along with COVID, you know, the extra uh, checks from the government that some states have doled out and some states are continuing to dole out to uh, the decrease in employment that is now, again, you know, turning and and hopefully going to continue to increase this decision that was handed down by the Supreme Court. I think there's a lot of activity in the realm of adoption and Mm -hmm. there's all these factors that play into it. So right now, again, we really just need the dust to settle to kind of pick through and see what's happening. I know that international adoptions have definitely decreased because of COVID mm-hmm. and that's significant. I don't believe that um, there will be a direct correlation between international adoptions and the decision from the Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade. In other words, I don't know that people who are choosing to adopt internationally will switch their focus just because um, of laws passed in the United right. States. Right. They're so in another I, country. It doesn't really affect them. Right. So I think that that will continue um, again. You know, COVID had a, a pretty significant effect and not in a good way with regarding um, the ability to, you know, fly to other countries and continue doing an international adoption. Both Kentucky and Florida have, begun rolling back access to abortions by implementing the 15-week ban, which is also what uh, Arizona is doing as well. I know Arizona has looked at the heartbeat law, which would mean that we would ban abortions at five to six weeks, but that has not been something that has been um, pursued at this moment. Right now, we just have the 15-week ban. So I think that that is, you know, this is a huge influence on adoption And women who are facing an unplanned or crisis pregnancy, you know, have even more to think about now because we've always looked at adoption as the third option, but now it may very well be a reality that is actually the second option. Right. And so, you know, that's very good news for um, all of the unborn children 
Um, but it, it may not be a choice that uh, a pregnant woman was looking to make. But again, so, uh, you know, for for pregnant mothers out there who are, you know, at least listening, it is a beautiful choice. It's something that will benefit not just the child, not just the adopting family, but also you. It, it benefits everybody. There's no loser in, in the adoption triad. Agreed. And it is a generational blessing. Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't just stop with the adoptee and the birth mother and the adoptive mother. It is a generational blessing. One thing that is a huge factor when a woman is choosing what to do when she's faced with an unplanned or crisis pregnancy is she may not be 18. And so that is a question I often get asked, you know, what happens if, uh, In other words, if someone was to say, well, I have a teenage daughter and she's 16 and she's pregnant and I don't want her to place the baby for adoption, it would depend on your state laws because in the state of Arizona, a minor can consent to placing her child for adoption without parental consent or her own parental consent. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really interesting and everybody would have to go to their state laws and see what their laws are. Actually, it's 40 states and the District of Columbia allows minors to place their babies for adoption. And I think that that's I think that's that's fascinating. Right now. So in comparison, what are the laws in Arizona when it comes to an abortion? Do they need parental consent for that under the age of 18? In the state of Arizona? Yes. Uh, Minors do need consent of one parent to obtain an abortion. Okay. so you do need parental consent for. An abortion, but not for an adoption. My first gut instinct would be there's probably a discrepancy because it's a medical procedure. Mm-hmm. So that's where the laws seem a little bit different, challenging, mm-hmm. um, because when a woman goes in and if she's 16 to the hospital to have a baby, she still needs her parents' permission to obtain medical treatment. But she doesn't need that same permission to be able to place her child for adoption. Right, right. Okay. So- she can sign on behalf of the baby, just not on behalf of herself for terms of medical. Right. Another factor that has played into adoption and does have a an, a significant effect on it, it would be um, infant abandonment. Hmm. And we do have safe haven laws in Arizona. Why this is so interesting to me is as abortions have become harder to obtain, um, it seems to me, and I could just, you know, have my ear out more listening, but we're hearing more and more stories of babies that are being found abandoned and these babies have passed away. And that's so hard because especially here in Arizona and those states that have safe haven baby laws where you can take your baby and drop your baby off and know that your baby will be adopted and your baby will be okay. Right. People are still making the choice to dispose of their their infant in you know, a dumpster or a location where the baby's not going to be found. Right. And that's so sad to me. And I hope that we don't see an increase in infant abandonments now that uh, abortions are as a whole going to be harder to obtain. Right. And again, just like getting the word out about adoption, I think we also need to get the word out about you know, safe haven drop off places. And I mean, because you can take them to a fire station, a hospital where I mean, actually, we're a safe haven location. We're one. Yeah. 
we, we have to be present. So we we can accept drop off, drop offs between nine and five. Monday through Friday. And what you do is you look for the the yellow sign that is the safe haven sign. I will try to post one on our website so our listeners can can see what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So any any designated safe haven location you can take your baby to, you remain completely anonymous. You don't have to give any personal information. If you put your baby in a, um, it's almost like a drawer at like the fire stations and mm-hmm. you push it, you don't even sometimes come into contact with anybody Right. Um, at the hospitals. You can either use a drawer or sometimes women will go in and hand the baby to a nurse. And what they say is safe haven. And once they say that, then there's no questions asked and uh, they are, they can hand the baby and they can walk out. Okay. Um, I think what one of the concerns that, I'm so afraid of that mothers have who are pregnant delivered and want to place their baby through the safe haven route is, you know, well, what about cameras? There's cameras everywhere. This law was put into place so that you can have, you can be anonymous and you can have that privacy and you're not going to have somebody banging at your door. So even if you were on camera for some reason, that that's not going to change what your rights are. Right. The the cameras are more for security purposes, for instance, but the laws, the safe haven laws are for the birth mother's protection and, like you said, her anonymity. Right. And so I just I want to put that out there because I want to make sure that women who are looking to place their baby don't walk up and see a camera and think, oh, no, I can't do this because yeah. I don't want to be on camera. And so, please, if, if you have made the choice to choose to uh, relinquish your baby via safe haven, please you know, don't just put your baby in a dumpster or anything else, please. They're not going to come chasing you down and, and looking for your information. And you do have that. Right. There's no repercussions. That's what this is all about. Right. 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 You know, unfortunately, again, we're seeing people that we're seeing stories about these babies on the news. I know that there was one I think about two or three months ago where a woman had walked into McDonald's and had a baby in one of the stalls and um, left the baby in yeah. So again, uh, McDonald's was, is not a safe haven location. And so the right. baby's not in a safe environment. There seems to be more in the news. I don't know whether it's drawing more attention or more, more media coverage, but I want to make sure that for women who are not wanting to parent and they feel like they're in a place in their life where they don't want to do an adoption and they cannot have an abortion that there is another option. You can safe haven the baby. And mm-hmm. it's so much better than the baby not having life. So we do have another option here. Yeah. I think it would be really neat for us to have uh, somebody from Safe Haven come on our podcast and talk a little bit more about that. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I would love that. Going forward over the next couple of weeks, I really want to dive back into some really hot topics that have come up uh, in the adoption world, like disruptions. What are we seeing about disruptions? Because, you know, there is a lot of talk in the adoption community about an increase in overall disruptions and why those are happening. Uh, so I really want to get into that. I really want to talk to some birth moms who I'm going to talk to them about being anonymous on our podcast because fentanyl, the use of fentanyl is really significantly also affecting adoptions as well. And I think that we also need to look at 
what's happened in the adoption world regarding education. You know, are people starting to understand more about what adoption really is and what effect does that have have having? Um, also education, you know, when when everybody went online for COVID, I think one positive that I took away, and it seems like I'm not the only one, is that we were all Zooming and doing all of our contact via Zoom and Skype and everything else. People started putting, I think, more value into using the internet and as an educational resource. And so I'm seeing a lot more seminars and and so forth offered online. Mm -hmm. And that can have an exceedingly positive effect on changing all the stigmas within adoption and hopefully uh, making it more normal because it is. <laughs> so I, I hope our listeners will continue to join us as we continue to educate and discuss and learn all about adoption. And we want to do it from all three standpoints of the triad, the birth mother, the adoptee and the adoptive parents. We have a pregnancy crisis hotline available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112, or you can reach us on our toll-free number 1-800-340-9665. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get you to a safe place, provide food and clothing, and help you get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan, or just give you more information. Check out our blogs on our website at azpregnancyhelp.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by looking for AZ Adopt Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us and tell your friends about us. Birth Mother Matters in Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Thanks go out to Grapes for letting us use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Join us next time on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Rains, and we'll see you then.